good morning. Everybody doing good? It's good to see you and Mobile Campus, Foley Campus. Thanks, guys, for being with us. Uh, it's just uh, Christmas is right around the corner. I know you're ready to go, you're ready to get it over. I mean, you're ready to have Christmas. So. <laughs> yeah, there come the parent out, huh? Yeah. Uh, I want to mention to the men, we have a, a men's construction team going to Honduras in February. If you guys would like to go, please go online and sign up. The medical team will be going in March. If you'd like to be part of that, you can do that also. Also, I want to remind you that the bicycles that you've committed, uh, if, you, if you can pay those by Christmas, would be great, and there's still a few hundred bikes not paid for. Uh, so if you'd like to help us with that, uh, they're all distributed and be going out on Christmas morning to homes all over Mobile and Baldwin County. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm going to finish a, a little mini-series that I entitled Risk. And I want to do a little review before I get into this because I have two purposes in this message. So I'm going to go to the first one, uh, but I want to review it before I get there. I started out in this series, and by the way, if you missed it, you can go online, watch it, and pick it up, and listen to it. I ask you, who took a risk on you? In other words, uh, you wouldn't be here, you wouldn't be a believer if someone hadn't taken a risk on you. Who took a risk on you? Maybe it's the first person to tell you about Christ. Maybe it's the first person you actually saw Christ in or first person to invite you to church. Remember, I had a card and asked you to put their name on one side. Then I had you flip over the card, and I asked you, who will you take a risk on? In other words, who in your life is drowning right now? And if you saw the first message, you know what that means. I'm asking you if you see that risk is true. If you see it's true to being a follower of Christ, I'm asking you who you take a risk on. And let's not buy into a culture of risk aversion, not buy into calculated risk or a gospel of risk management. But let's be people who run after those who are hurting and suffering and are in need. Let's live out what God said through his son because he took a risk on us. We are a church that takes risk. In fact, one of our core values, our core values are on our website if you want to look at them. But one of our core values is this. We are relentless in helping others truly know Jesus Christ. And if you're part of base, say that with me. We are relentless in helping others truly know Jesus Christ. Last weekend I told you. There are about 5 billion people who don't know God. And I illustrated that, what that looked like. And, and yeah, most of them may be on the other side of the world, but I, I'm, I'm sure that just about every other person you, you meet at work and school, in the neighborhood, people are struggling and wrestling and doubting and exploring. Some have completely turned God off. And I challenge you to have a determination to see every seat in our church as, as holy ground, as a place that someone needs to be seated to receive and a determination to name those seats after people you know and you love and give you the courage and the boldness to invite them, especially for this Christmas event coming up. All of that because people matter to God. All of that because God loves people. This weekend, the subtitle is this, May We Risk? And I want to start off with this question because I'm, I'm basically what I've been talking about is uh, being evangelistic, uh, you know, reaching people with the message. So how do you maintain evangelistic optimism? How do you keep that at, at a level that it's on your mind? Well, in the book of Luke in chapter 15, there are three stories that Jesus tells. He's just left a conversation with, uh, he, he, with, with some uh, religious leaders, and he has also been hanging out with some irreligious people, some unbelievers. And so he drops these three stories in, and here's, here's what it sounds like. It sounds like a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. 
but the stories are short. They're, they're, they're not detailed. They're pointed. It's kind of like the cliff notes. So, you, so you're wondering, what do these stories have in common? Why did he put all of these in the same chapter? Why, why is this? What is the theme here? Is there a theme here? And there's a theme. Something's missing. And the other theme is whatever's missing is valuable because somebody's looking for what's missing, which makes that thing that's missing valuable to somebody. So Jesus is saying those irreligious people that I've been hanging out with, the sinners, the unbelievers, uh, they matter to the Father. Just like the lost coin mattered to somebody, just like the lost sheep mattered to someone, just like the lost son mattered to a father. So here's the question. Do irreligious people matter to God? I mean, do they really matter? I mean, isn't God ticked off with all these people and the way they live and the way they think and the way they act and what they do? Isn't he just ticked off? Isn't he, hasn't he just written them off? Well, you see, those three stories in Luke 15, the, the key is there was an all-out search for something valuable. See, God loves people. People are valuable. And when you lose something, you know, you have degrees of searching. How many of you lose your phone? Yeah. Well, around my house, everybody's poking and laughing. Around my house, my wife will misplace her phone several times, you know, over the year, the week. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, and, and, and so there's an all-out search. We're going to find, we're going to find her phone. Okay. Cause how many, you know, you, you can't live without your phone. You got to have your phone, you know, even though it's distracting, you still have to have it. And, and, and so, you know, that's a search, but have you ever lost a child in the mall? Have you ever missed the playground? You turn around, you can't find them. I mean, and maybe it's a minute, but it seems like an hour. What happens? You drop everything you're doing because the most important thing you're going to do right now is find something that's valuable that's lost. One author describes God as the hound of heaven, seeking us until he finds us. And here's the theme. When he finds us, we're retrieved, and it brings rejoicing in heaven. Now think about it. When an irreligious person, when a lost person, I mean, they could be mean. They could be your enemy. When they find Christ... Heaven throws a party. Hey, when, when, when you became a believer, the, the banner dropped down. Your name's on it. Angels by the thousand are rejoicing. Okay? So that should tell you how valuable a person is. In Luke 15, there's a set of lenses that we need to look at people through. And I talked last weekend about judging and labeling and all of that, and you need to listen to that. But, you know, we need to look at people through a Luke 15 lens. Why? Because they matter to God, and they don't know it. And they're only one prayer away from a party being thrown in heaven. That's how important they are. People matter to God. God loves people. Let me show you something. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus has just had a conversation with some religious people. You know, those people that nothing ever pleases them and nothing's ever good enough. I can't get on. I'm going to try to be nice. I wasn't nice in the last service. I was on the naughty list. I said some things I probably shouldn't have said, and I'll be called out, but that's okay. Um, so Jesus is being really nice, and he leaves this group of people, and in verse 27, he went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. When you say tax, immediately you have a bad taste in your mouth. 
immediately you know in the scriptures when you see tax collector, you see sinner right beside each other. It's like they're all in the same sentence. So they were corrupt in the way they operated then. Uh, they, they, they just had a horrible reputation. Everybody hated them. So Jesus sees this guy, Levi, and he says, follow me. He says to this irreligious tax collector, follow me. Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Now, we know now his name is Matthew. And, and he, fo- he becomes a new believer. He follows Christ. And he's thinking in the back of his mind because he's a newbie on the team because there's some other guys that have been there for a while. And he's thinking, I need, what, what, can I, what can I do to add to the value of this team? I, I want to get involved. I want to do something. And so here's what he did. He threw a party for all of his friends. All of his corrupt, irreligious friends, he throws a party. And, of course, Jesus and the disciples, his guys, they're, they're all there too. He takes a risk. Guess what happens in the middle of the party? The religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees show up in the middle of the party and they address and the disciples and Jesus has to respond in verse 30. It says, the Pharisees and the teacher of the law who belong to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you eat and drink with irreligious people, these people that are far from God? They're corrupt. They're stealing. Why do you do that? And Jesus answered, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus says, hey, think of me as a doctor hanging out with people who need the cure. And you Pharisees, religious people, you don't need a cure because you're righteous in your own eyes. So so you don't really need me. You, You got it figured out. But here's what I think. This is not in the scripture. This is just my thinking. I think later that night when everybody leaves that Jesus is helping Matthew clean up his house. And Matthew says, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about getting you in trouble with all the Pharisees and the leaders and scribes with having the party. And here's what I think Jesus said. Matthew, listen, I am so glad that you didn't forget about your friends after you followed me. I'm so glad that you reached back to your friends. Because most of us were taught, oh, when you got to say, hey, don't, forget those guys. Forget them. I, I'm so glad you reached back. And I think Jesus also said, I'm so glad you were creative on how to have impact on them because you knew they weren't ready for synagogue for church. You knew they weren't ready for a sermon for you to preach to them. So you took a risk by throwing a party with a bunch of corrupt people that were your friends, but you had a redemptive pers- purpose. So you were willing to share your grace and faith with them a little differently, and, and you, you loved the risk, and you didn't even know what I would do. I was there. But you took a risk. You had me there. And these people at the party, they talked to Jesus. They may, they may have no idea who he was, but they talked to him. They interacted. Who knows what he said and what he did. See, when you lead someone to Christ, you can watch their life change. Because you see, people matter to God. So when they come to Christ, when they're around Christ, if you can get them around Christ, their life's going to change. And the only thing you can take with you into the next reality is people. You know this life, this reality is short-lived. You know, you're going to get 70, 80 years, and this life will be over. This reality will be over. You're going to the next one. Do you know that in the next reality, the only thing you can take with you is people? My question is, is your family going to be with you in the next reality? Your parents, your sons, your daughters, your children, your cousin, are they going to be with you in the next reality? I want you to listen to this story about a 93-year-old man. Do you know the percentage of people over 80 coming to Christ? Do you know that it's a single-digit number? 
Listen to this story about a 93-year-old man and a family that was determined to see him in the next reality. Bank community, I want to remind you of what I've been saying about your story. Everybody has a story, and everybody's story is important. And uh, I'm, I'm here with one of the families in our church, uh, Ron and Jenny. They have an incredible story uh, that actually the story ended about a year ago. And I, I, want, I want Ron to kind of share this story. I'm, 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 I'm in their home. And, and Ron, about a year ago, your father passed away, almost 93 years old. Almost 93, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he didn't become a Christian until just... Uh, he was hospitalized, and, uh, and my uh, niece uh, felt a need to go in and talk with him. And uh, she was able to uh, walk him through the sinner's prayer, and he accepted uh, Christ. That's awesome. Tell me about your background. You, how were you raised? My mother uh, uh, was uh, the, one of the charter members of the Everett Church of God in Pennsylvania. And she tried for years to get Dad to go to church with her. She requested prayer for him. She uh, always was uh, talking to him about religion, and he would have nothing to do with the church. He... Uh, lambasted the church pretty often. He was just kind of a hard man. And uh, and I remember my mother crying a lot of times because he'd get her upset by things he said. And uh, so it was just a real miracle that he found God. But for years, your mom, you, people were praying for him. My mother, my aunt, uh, Mavis, uh, uh, her whole family prayed for him. And... uh, Decades. For decades. Yeah. Yeah. And so it didn't happen in your timeline, did it? No. It was it was a, over a period of sixty years, and uh, and he he just uh, was just, he wasn't ready to to make that decision. But it was your niece. My niece Charlotte uh, is the one that really really. Uh, was able to talk with him uh, on his really was a, he didn't realize at the time but it was really his deathbed at that time in her 30s Charlotte uh, uh, was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 ovarian cancer and uh, God healed her and at the time that he healed her uh, she uh, um, felt that uh, he had healed her for a purpose but she didn't really realize what the purpose was and so uh, it my dad's funeral, uh, she leaned up to Jenny and she said, uh, God healed me. And she had tears just running down her face. And she said, I know that I was supposed to leave granddad to the Lord. And that's why he healed me. That's awesome. What a story. And it was his mother's prayers, his mother's influence on her niece, her niece's critical illness and ultimately her healing, which was the first miracle. And then through the years, she knew there was a reason that God saved her life. She knew it, and she just didn't know what it was. And then another part of the story is that uh, at one of these services back in October of 2013, uh, 
you requested that uh, we write a name or names on a, a stone that you provided for us that, uh, for people that we wanted to see saved, and I wrote Dad's name. That day, he wrote his father's name for it to be put into the foundation right. of the church, right. and this was precisely uh, two months before, before. his yeah. father died. Yeah. And that, and that stone is now in the foundation of the new building at Malbus that we'll be going right. into soon. But what, what symbolism that represents, right. as you did that as an act of faith. But to me, the, the part that I want people to capture is that God had a plan. Yeah. Always. And it was his timing. Right. But he heard the prayers. So we should never give up. Never stop praying. It was a profound experience and one that if you had told me when I first met this man that we would be sitting here talking to you about this incident, I would not have believed it. But I can see how every single tiny step along the way was perfectly placed so that the final picture would be as God chose it to be. I really believe that. Thank you so much for sharing this story. And uh, I know that um, God's going to use it in, in, a, in a powerful way. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Can you imagine the reunion of this lady who was married to this man for 60 years, who was mean and hard-headed and stubborn or whatever, and he comes into the heaven's gates, and there they are? How many of you put a name on a stone? Yeah, should raise your level of faith. Now, is your family going with you to the next reality? We, we have to reset the risk bar. We have to reset the prayer bar. You can never give up. Yes, they have a will, and yes, they can choose, but when we take a risk and we believe that God does what God can only do, then we've done our part, and God will respond. Now, I want to talk a little more practical to you because I know many of us, we, we don't give out invitations to people to come to Christ because if people don't respond, then we're, we're, we're going to be standing there feeling like an idiot. And so, you know, and that's why many of you don't, don't even, even with people you know and you love, you don't want to feel like an idiot. And so what do we do? We lower the risk with protection of doing nothing. But you see, it's risk time. Here's why. Nobody comes to faith unless somebody takes a risk. Somebody took a risk on you. Somebody needs you to take a risk on them. And, and I want you to raise your risk level because when you do, people's lives are going to be touched and they're going to be transformed. So listen, I want to give you, you're going to feel like you're going back to the basics 101 class, but I want to give you this. And I want to start with a story. And this story, Paul is writing it in prison. And in Galatians 2.2, here's what he says. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. He's talking about believers in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine surrounding arguments. Paul's praying this prayer and here's what he's basically saying. He's praying God will open a door for your message. God will open a door for your story. And when he does, you need to openly proclaim it clearly uh, because it, it needs to go in people's mind. That's the soulish part. It needs to hit their heart. That's the spiritual part. 
He's praying for prison. He's not asking God to open the door in the prison because he knows God's sovereign is going to take care of him in due time. But he's, he's praying that every follower will make the message clear. Not clever, not sophisticated, not edgy and cool, but clear, and God will do the rest. And it's kind of like this. This is the way I see people that are not believers, irreligious. It's kind of like going up to a door. You go up to a door, you don't just walk up and push on the door. You put your hand on the handle of the door to see if it's locked or unlocked, right? So when you go up to a person, you got to find out if the door is locked or unlocked. If the door is locked, then don't push on the door. Show respect to the locked door. That's discourteous. And a lot of people, they, they want to barge in. And, and you see, sometimes people, they've had a bad day. They've had a stressful day. You don't know what's going on in their world, and they probably think you're strange anyway. And most of you are. <laughs> but if the door's closed, respect the door. But if you reach the handle and it's unlocked, you check it, then they may be willing to talk. And if you can get into a conversation about anything and everything... And, and then you can bend the conversation and you can lead them and you can eventually talk about God, you'll find that an open door means this. It means their heart is cracked open for that moment. So respect the heart and be gracious because sometimes when doors are open, conversations end like this. Well, what is a Christian? How do you become a Christian? How do you know if you're a Christian? So remember, when a door is open, there's like a door closer on every door. So you only got a couple minutes to share and, and, and to keep it open. So what I want to do in the rest of this message, I want to basically give you some simple diagrams of what you can do. Okay? Okay? Okay. So let's start it this way. This is for you to use with people. And you don't have to have a whiteboard. You can just use the word. So what is Christianity? Well, religion is due. Yeah, it's, it's due. It's what people do to try to impress a God they've disappointed. So when you do all that stuff, you're thinking, I'm reconciling with God. But here's, what, here, here's the case. People who are in that, and you've been there, some of us have, the longer you do, the more intensely you do, and then you realize there's no due quota. So you have to keep doing and doing day in and day out. And eventually you're disillusioned and eventually you're exhausted and then you drop out of religion. But Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. What Jesus has done, he died for your wrongdoing. He atoned you. He re he's, the redemption is available. It's a gift. So here's, here's the difference. Now my faith is built fundamentally on what my Savior has done for me, not what I do. See, and you can use that. It's so clear. It's, it's so easy just to use. I mean, if you go up on, to people on the street and you ask them, hey, what, what do you have to do to reconcile to God? Most people are going to say you've got to do a bunch of stuff. It depends on their background, all the stuff they tell you. But what if it's already been done? Well, that, that's a game changer. And then if you want a scripture to drop in, you can just take the first half of, of Titus 3, 5, where he says he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. See, that's so clear. You can use it. Well, look, let, me use, let me do another one, okay? Because you see, some of you think your relationship with God is according to the 
bad things you've done and the good things you've done. Okay? So, let, let, me, let me do this. Oh, and, and listen, I know my artistic skills are so over the top, but in case you don't know, those are scales. I don't want to go through this whole illustration and have to tell you. Th- those are scales, okay? <laughs> and, and, and so on the scales, here's what you have. You, you have bad and you have good. And so you're, you're living your life and you're thinking, okay, I got to do more good than bad. I mean, how do your scales look right now? Well, I do a little better. How do they look in college? Yeah. Okay. So you mean God's not interested in behavior? Oh, no, he's interested in behavior, but the Bible says he's more interested in what you believe about his son. Why? Because it's not all about behavior. It's about his son. I I, I don't know how long. As long as I can remember, there's been a guy either at a a golf game or a football game or somewhere, and he's holding up a sign that says John 3.16. You've seen that guy? Yeah. It's like, I, I, I don't know. He's been living a long time, too. I mean, he's good everywhere. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes. See, if we believe, then everlasting life, when it comes down to it, the the scales really don't matter. It's about believing in him. It's about believing in Christ. Well, let me do one more. And I will explain this one as I go because I know my my artwork is challenging sometimes. But uh, because many of you have seen this one. But... uh, yeah, that's a cliff, and that's a cliff. And, and, and right here's a gap, okay? And over here is God, and over here, there you are, okay? It looks like GOP. Let's take that off. <laughs> so there's God. There we are. There's a gap. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ the Lord. So this looks like an unbridgeable gap, but here's what we do because of our religious upbringing. We think, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll practice and I'll run and I'll, I'll, and I'll get in shape and I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I can, I think I can get it where I can just jump over there. That would be like you going to the Bowen County side of Mobile Bay and trying to jump to the Mobile County side of Mobile Bay. You, You can't do it humanly. You just can't do it. So something has to fill the gap. And, and, and you know it. It is a gift. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what did Jesus do? He comes in. If you call on his name, he comes in. I know this is such creative work. And he comes in and he bridges the gap. And, and it's a gift. And it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. How many of you have a cell phone? How many of you have a cell phone right here? Give me your cell phone. Give me your cell phone. Is it locked? Yeah. Unlock it. (laughs) Thank you. Santa Claus picture? No, just kidding. Use this. You just give them. Here's here's the gap. And it says in in, in Romans 
uh, 10, 13 says, call on the name of the Lord. So when you want to call your spouse, you don't even know the number anymore. You just hit a button, right? When you want to call your kids, I mean, it's normal, right? I mean, we all have cell phones, right? I mean, the only thing would be odd would be, do you have a back phone? Old people would say, no, I got rid of mine in a yard sale. Young people say, what's a back phone? <laughs> so it's, it's not odd to have your cell phone and call people, right? So there's nothing odd about calling God. You mean I can really call on the name of the Lord? I mean, I can actually call on God? Yeah. Well, what am I going to say? What, what would I say? Well, l- l- let me tell you. Here's the first thing you say. I'm sorry it took so long to call. I, I'm, I'm sorry I haven't been answering your calls. I'm sorry I've been kind of avoiding you. And, and, and then here's what you say. Thank you for filling in the gap. Thank, thank you for doing that for me. And the third thing you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. I'm, I'm sorry for running, for running from you. I'm, I'm sorry for avoiding what you have for my life. I'm sorry. I mean, it, it's that simple. Sorry, thanks, and forgive me. That is so clear. That is an open door for you. And then here's what you do. You, you give them their cell phone back. Yeah, I'm giving your cell phone back. And, and you say, are you ready to call upon the name of the Lord? Well, it's that easy, so call him. After church. (laughs) You see how practical that is and how easy that is? This is the best one, though. These are thinkers and illustrations. These won't really excite you that much. This is what excites you. Your story. But you see, most of us underestimate our story but your story is for somebody at the right time so you need to share it and and by the way share the short version (laughs) and don't exaggerate it i've I've heard people share their story that's like what what are you trying to do be the top 10 worst person people in the world i mean (laughs) don't don't exaggerate it because you see here's how you tell your story well you know my life was going along pretty good Kind of flat, not much in it. And then all of a sudden, some things started happening. Lost my job, some marital problems, finances. Oh, the doctor said this and that, and I'm, I'm on an exploration. I'm, I'm looking around. Something's not right. See, see, God put that in us. And so, you know, they're looking around and saying, hey, you know, what's this? And then somebody from Bay Community Church invited them to come to church. They heard the gospel. They, heard the, they felt the presence of God. They received Christ. You know you're good when you struggle drawing a cross. <laughs> they received Christ. Their life changes. Yeah, see, before my life was empty and void and things started happening and I was in a state of exploration, then I accepted Christ as my Lord. I put faith in Christ and 
You'll have to you'll have to use some imagination on this one. I got water baptized. <laughs> that's water sprinkling, throwing up. You know, that's water. I, yeah. <laughs> now, see, if you were a child, you'd get that immediately. You'd know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, got, I was water baptized. What do you mean you were water baptized? I was dunked. You were dunked. I was dunked. Why? Because water baptism for a Christian is an outward symbol of being clean on the inside by Christ. And then here comes the question. Well, what's changed? What's changed? Life wasn't going so good. You found Christ, and you got water baptized. You're all in. What changed? Now, you got to be careful how you answer this one, please, because I've heard answers like this. I've heard worse. I'm being kind. Oh, you know what? I used to be anxious and nervous. I'm not anxious and nervous anymore. Oh, I used to have problems. I never have a problem anymore. See, Those are ridiculous overstatements of reality. Don't do that because people discredit your Savior when you talk like that. Because guess what? As long as you're here on this earth, you're going to have problems. And there are going to be times where you're going to be tempted or you may be stressed and have anxiety. All that. That, So you can't do that. You have to say things like this. Well, you know, since I've been a Christian, I've enjoyed getting up in the morning with a clear conscience and not a sin-stained conscience. Since I've been a Christian, since I'm going ahead and I'm living my own life, I'm living my life now as a Christ follower, I enjoy going through the day with a sense of the presence of God in my life. I enjoy the Holy Spirit working like a GPS system that I've learned how to tune into so that he guides me through each day. Oh, I enjoy having a heart that has been increased with the love capacity to love everybody because I didn't love everybody and that's from God. And I enjoy being able to, after a, if I have a disappointment that God's going to pick me back up, I enjoy knowing where I'm going when I die. See, that's, that's all you want them to know so that they'll ask you, well, how can I have that? And then there, there's three or four ways you can do that. But let, let me share this and I'm going to finish. Here are my thoughts. This may fit you. This may not fit you at all. But I think the reason many of us are not really out checking doors and seeing if they're locked or unlocked, not telling our story, is because for some of you, your story is a blur. You have no clear recollection of a time when you crossed the line into faith and trusted Christ. And maybe you were never baptized. Maybe that's part of your story. Or maybe you, 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 you just don't have I enjoy, an enjoy list because your story is a burry, a burry story. And, and, and so here's what you do. You go up and you say, hey, you want to hear about my life? Well, it's a blurry story. I, I, I can't make sense of it myself. Who wants that one? <laughs> You're saying, well, that's where I am. Why do I want to hear that story? Some of you understand diagrams, but see, they don't excite you. Gee, your story is so valuable. People came up to Jesus and they said, hey, listen, uh, isn't everybody going to make it to heaven? And here's what Jesus said. Well, you know what? You know, yeah, people are going to come to heaven. They're going to see me. They're going to say, hey, what's up, Lord? Everything good, right? And he's going to say, I, 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 don't, I don't know you. I, I never had a relationship with you. You see, it's possible to hang around a great church, talk church talk, and serve and not be in a relationship with Christ. 
And if you've lost your redemptive edge, you can get it back. If you've lost your evangelistic optimism, it's gone. You can get that back too. But you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to call on the name of the Lord and remove the blur. Get your storyline back. Secondly, there are people around you who need God. Take a risk on them. Remember they're valuable to God. And whatever's valuable to him, he wants to search and find. But guess who the search party is? We're the search party. That's who we are. That, that's what we do. I made this statement last weekend. Bears repeating. Everybody's life would be better if Christ were at the center of it. You agree with that? Everybody's life would be, and you know that. You just want people who don't know that to know that. But let me say this. The greatest gift, this is Christmas, gift giving. The greatest gift to another human being is an introduction to the God who loves them. And they will thank you all of their lives and eternity. See, it's Christmas time. We're going to throw a party. And we're going to have all kinds of opportunities for people to come. And I want you to bring your friends, irreligious, tax collectors, politicians. You know they need it. They need your prayers. I mean, we're going to throw a party, and we want, we want you to invite. But here's the key. Jesus is going to be there. And we're going to take a risk. Because I guarantee you this. The religious, they'll criticize something about it. They always do. They'll criticize something about it. But you see, here's the deal. I'm willing to take a risk for a weekend of outreach at all of our campuses for you to bring people who don't know God, they, they don't understand this peace that we have. They don't understand all that. And maybe they're not this way or that way or this way, but we're going to take a risk and we're going to bring them in and, and, and we, we're, we're, we're going to present to them the simplicity of the gospel and we're going to let Jesus do his part. No pressure, no embarrassment, no twisting arms, no drink the Kool-Aid. None of you got that. Okay, so... You know, <laughs> We, we're not going to do that, but we're going to trust that Jesus is here. And we're going to trust. And listen, don't you leave disappointed next weekend if the persons that you bring or whatever, if they don't do anything, because here's what you have to believe. If they're sitting in that seat, it's because we're going to pray over the seats this week in every auditorium that we use. We're going to pray over those seats, and we're going to believe those seats are holy ground, and we're going to believe that a seed is being deposited. And maybe they respond then. Maybe they respond in two days, two weeks, two years, two decades but the seeds being planted and being imparted. Why? Because people matter to God. And you know people, and they matter to God. So I want you to be part of this. But your faith has to be stretched to take a risk. And listen, just like the story of the leaders, God's got a plan. You've got to trust him with it. But just believe that his love is real, his grace is real. People know you. You have influence. And God's word doesn't return void. So you do that with that much faith. And we will see what God will do in the lives of people over the next year. Are you good with that? Yeah. And all you religious people that don't like it and you're going to complain, you just don't come. No, I'm sorry. You know, Jesus loved the religious people too, didn't he? He did. He did. I'm sorry, Lord. I messed up again. I'm on the bad list again. Naughty list. I did it again. 
You okay? Lord, thank you for using us on the search team for things that are so valuable to you. Lay somebody on our heart to make a phone call, to send an email, to reach out and invite. Not that that weekend is the fix-all to everything, but that weekend is for us to take a risk on people and activate our faith. And we trust that you will do what only you can do in touching the lives of people. We love people and we love you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.